It's Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and via podcast anywhere in the world you might be listening. I'm Olivia Rosenman. Thanks for tuning in. This week, we spoke to Luke Pearson, who is a Gamilaroi man and the founder of Indigenous X. Indigenous X is a rare and interesting example of a natively digital media platform. Since it was founded by Luke five years ago, it's had considerable success. The platform is based on a Twitter account that is hosted by a different Indigenous person each week. Throughout the week, the host shares her or his stories, experiences and knowledge. And sometimes they might just talk about basketball. At the end of the week, the host publishes an opinion piece in The Guardian. And I think it's fair to say that Indigenous X has made a huge contribution to Australia's media landscape in providing a platform for Indigenous stories told by Indigenous people. Today, March 15th, is the fifth anniversary of Indigenous X. And I started by asking Luke to introduce the platform in his own words. Indigenous X was actually one of the first rotating accounts on Twitter. So basically means we have a different Indigenous person each week who takes the account and for the most part does whatever they want, talks about whatever they want to talk about. Why the name? What does the X stand for? Well, obviously X is the coolest letter of the alphabet, so that was a big... um, But no, I, I love the ambiguity around it, so... When it started, it was tied into Indigenous Excellence, um, had a lot of involvement from NCIE, the National Centre of Indigenous Excellence, who were big on, they were pushing out the, the hashtag at the time and trying to get people to tell more positive stories to counter a lot of the negative stuff in the media. But as it's grown, I think for me, it's hard to sort of say, you know, this is excellence, this is not excellence, or, you know, so it's more about the algebraic X, the unknown equation, X marks the spot, um, sometimes a bit of the Malcolm X, X. So it, it is really whatever anyone sort of wants it to be. But yeah, for me, it was just really about wanting to have a space that had a decent following. You know, social media is sort of more and more becoming the new media. And at the time when we started, Twitter was still there but you know you didn't see news reporters having their at symbol on the the tv screen when we started but yeah it was just so few indigenous people actually get a chance to tell their story to a large audience and to the nation in their own words at best you might get a little soundbite or a quote in a newspaper but to actually have a full week to just say it's your show just tell your story so you said that Indigenous X was the first or one of the first rotating Twitter accounts. There was also Indigenous X Canada, Indigenous X CA. So what is the relationship there? Did they take the idea from you and do you have much involvement with them? Yeah, so the Canada mob, they um, reached out a couple of women over there. This has gone back, got a couple of years now, maybe close to three years for them, I think. And they just said, you know, we love Indigenous X. We're thinking of doing something similar here. You know, can you give us advice on how you structured it and what you did? And I said, you know, if you want to be a part of the Indigenous X family, here's everything we've done and off you go. So we do have some involvement. Like we don't communicate as much as we can because we're all busy. We all sort of, you know, do this in whatever time we have available. But the big thing for me was, you know, be true to the philosophy of it and it's yours. So I wasn't going to try and you know, tell them the the Canadian context of what I'm doing. So I had trust in those women. I knew them from Twitter. Um, both were pretty prolific writers. So I, I felt I had a good sense of their sensibilities and was happy to let them run with it. 
You mentioned the ability through Twitter for more and more people to get their stories out in their own words. And I am curious as to why you chose Twitter and not Facebook, considering that Facebook, both in Australia and globally, does have a much bigger audience. What was behind the decision to go with Twitter? I'd been on Twitter for a couple of years already and I was... You know, there wasn't a lot of Indigenous people on it at the time, probably only a couple of hundred, where now there would be thousands of people. I couldn't even guess how many Aboriginal people are on there now. But, I don't know, there was just something about it. Like, I think when I talk about the difference, you know, it's Facebook is your friends and your family and those people you went to school with and those people you socialise, whereas Twitter is more about shared interests and shared values and a lot of um, advocacy and, and activism that I think you can really build a, a stronger community on Twitter, um, especially at, at that time. And for me, it was, yeah, Twitter was where I was spending most of my time, so it just felt like a natural extension. So the Indigenous X account was actually originally my personal account, and then I rebranded it as Indigenous X and launched it off. How much do you see the role of the particular host for the week to engage with other users as well as publishing their knowledge and experience and and their stories? Entirely at their own discretion when it comes to that. So the way I usually talk about, you know, when I'm letting a host know what's expected of them um, is that, you know, they're on the stage, they're, they're Indigenous X for that week, and they can interact with the audience as much or as little as they choose, depending on what they want to talk about. So some people really are just there to have a chat with everyone and want to find out what everyone else is doing. But a lot of our hosts are there with something that they feel is important, that they want to talk about. And you can get sidetracked or sort of derailed if you spend too much time in the conversation space. Of, you know, if you know exactly what you want to talk about, you just get up and go for it. Take questions from the audience if you'd like, but don't feel obligated. Whereas other people just chat the whole week and that's cool too. And that's the thing about... You know, not editorialising or, or censoring what hosts do is just you be yourself. But, you know, like this week, we've got Fiona Hamilton, who's telling some very personal stories about family violence and domestic violence and a lot of experiences for Aboriginal women. And so, you know, she is interacting with hosts, but she's also you know, telling her story a lot. And so depending on who it is in the sort of week and why they're there will really guide how much a person interacts. But for me, all I really say around expectations is, you know, when you have a week and someone sends out three tweets for the whole week, that's a wasted opportunity for them and for the audience. But other than that, just go for it. One of the other features of Twitter is direct messaging. And I wonder how much of what happens in that week is out of public through private messaging. Again, varies week to week on who it is and I think especially for a lot of our non-Indigenous followers, they might be a bit nervous or worried about asking the wrong thing in that public space or they might just want to reach out to a host to follow up other opportunities or to have other conversations. So there is a lot of behind-the-scenes things that go on, especially um, with me as the facilitator of the whole process. A lot of people will message me if something's going wrong or if they think I need to be aware of something. So our audience is actually really supportive for the most part and I think we all know that Twitter can get a bit messy at times. So for you know, we're almost at 30,000 followers now and it's just great how little of that we get. Most people are really interested and engaged and are there for the right reasons. Who is your audience? Are they all in Australia or is there a big global audience as well? I'd have to say mostly in Australia, um, but we do have a really good international following, which is you know, how Indigenous X Canada came about because people overseas were seeing it and, and interacting. And obviously, you know, global Indigenous communities have a big interest in Australia. And so we get a lot of Indigenous people in Australia and around the world following the account. But 
again, you know, talking about those shared interests more than necessarily demographics of a type of person, it's really those people who know they don't know enough about Indigenous Australia or those people who do know a lot but want to hear more and want to interact with those individuals. So, yeah, for the, for the most part, it's just people who understand the philosophy, understand the need for more Indigenous voices out there and who want to support that and want to be a part of the conversation. The Indigenous X hosts are a remarkably diverse bunch. I've seen an ear, nose and throat specialist, a hip hop artist, a linguist, a lawyer and a comedian, just to name a few. How do you choose the hosts? Uh, it's a mix of people reaching out to us and asking for weeks and us just identifying people who are in the wider community doing things that we think are interesting or who are very active on Twitter and we think will make for an interesting host that week. So, you know, we don't really have a checklist like we go off and tick off the lawyer and the doctor and the... Um, but, you know, we are an amazingly diverse mob and I think a lot of people don't think about that and, and don't recognise that diversity of Indigenous people. So for me, it's just any and every Indigenous person is welcome to come and host. And within that, you just naturally see that diversity arise. And so we don't do a balance for male or female or young and old or for regions. We just let hosts come as they come. And that diversity gets reflected really well just through a very organic process. You're listening to Fourth Estate and I'm speaking to Luke Pearson, the founder of Indigenous X. As well as being featured on the Indigenous X Twitter account, many of the hosts have an opinion piece then published in The Guardian. How did this partnership with The Guardian come about? Yeah, that was a really nice feather in the cap for Indigenous X on our journey. Um, it was basically when The Guardian were coming to set up The Guardian Australia. I think they were aware that they didn't have a lot of local knowledge and a lot of experience and they wanted to make sure they were tapping into existing communities and telling stories in the right way. So they actually reached out to us and made the offer and of course we jumped at it because you know sadly there aren't too many media organisations who would have been as well aligned again with a good national and international audience and that would have given us the opportunity to have that independence in the way we tell those stories. So obviously they give editorial support because a lot of our hosts aren't writers, aren't used to writing opinion pieces. But they're, yeah, they're really solid with letting those people tell their story on their own terms and then just tidying up around the edges to make sure that it's going to be good for the reader as well. There's a lot of talk about the arrival of the New York Times. Similarly, a big international media organisation landing in Australia with not that much local knowledge. Would you like to see a relationship with the New York Times? Yeah, I think one of the good things about Indigenous X starting as more of a philosophy than necessarily a particular brand or product you know, if it's Indigenous, if it's excellent, we will be a part of it. So, you know, we also have a partnership with Start Some Good. You know, we have friendly relations with a lot of other media outlets and a lot of journalists and a lot of people in a lot of different spaces. And so, you know, anyone who comes along and says, here's something that we're looking at doing, I have a very basic list of criteria that I will see. You know, is it in the interest of Indigenous X? Is it in the interest of Indigenous people? Is it something that I believe in and that I would happily put my own personal name and the Indigenous X name behind? And if it is, then, yeah, happy to have that chat with anyone and everyone. The founding story on the Indigenous X website says that you wanted to create a platform for Indigenous people to share their knowledge, opinions and experience. Because when you started Indigenous X in early 2012, the national dialogue was characterised by a consistent lack of awareness, understanding and respect for Indigenous people. 
So obviously in those five years, Indigenous X has grown to be a very significant and uh, well-established platform. But I wonder, how do you see the national dialogue? Has that changed? Has that improved in, in the five years since 2012? Yeah, I think there's been some massive improvements and some of those Indigenous exes had, you know, varying roles in. You know, whereas like The Guardian, I would say now, would have to be a front runner for publishing the most Indigenous writers in a given year because they can publish up to one a week just through Indigenous X. And I don't think there's many other media outlets who would actually have 52 writers writing for their websites and that's you know including a lot of the main players as well and then you know just supporting people promoting issues but now you know just the the tv shows especially i think are something massive you know buzzfeed having alan clark as their indigenous journalist like there's more and more people tapping in finding those opportunities and really just smashing it out of the park and so for years i think in politics and media in a lot of spaces there was this untested view that audiences aren't interested in hearing from Indigenous people. You know, certain stories they might be interested hearing about Indigenous people, um, but generally you know, there's no audiences there for that. And I think we always got that, you know, well, it's only 3% and obviously only other Indigenous people would want to hear from Indigenous people, which is just ludicrous on its face, but is one of those assumptions that really had never been tested. And more and more we're starting to see people you know go down that path and we're seeing the success that comes from that i really think it is a, a great time for that development and that growth and it's just something that i hope continues to grow and doesn't just get pigeonholed of well we've got enough now that will do but i think it is something that more and more people are realizing there's a massive need for and there's still a massive shortfall in and there's still a lot of really inappropriate and negative reporting out there from a lot of media outlets and i'm not so interested in trying to convince them it's more about those people who should be on board making sure they do it well. Why is it so important to have a platform for Indigenous Australians to tell their stories? I think it's so that we can be in control of our own story. Um, you know it's one of the core principles of self-determination and if we don't have Indigenous people working in the media and if we don't have platforms like Indigenous X then it will always be filtered through someone else's perspective, again, with those assumptions about what their audience wants to hear. And so there's a lot of tropes and always has been about, you know, the deficit discourse or if someone succeeds, it has to be told as a story of overcoming diversity or, you know, there's so much more richness behind the scenes than those few little nuggets that editors and producers think, oh, this is, this is an Indigenous story. And if we're going to challenge those tropes, you've got to find those opportunities. And so with Indigenous X, you know, not every week is about anything. It's whatever that person does. And that's how you find opportunities. That's how you find new stories. That's how you find new audiences. That's how you find new possibilities. It's just by letting people be themselves. And I think without you know, social media, it is something that probably would have stayed largely untested for much longer. And those few Indigenous people who get opportunities still would have been pigeonholed. And like I said, it's something that still happens en masse. But, you know, Indigenous X, a few other things out there now that are starting to pop up, are creating those opportunities. What are some other platforms that you think are, are doing a good job? In so many different spaces, I mean, one of my favourite things is um, the Cope Street Collective. If you saw them, they did the um, subversive lamb ad rip off earlier in the year which was just hilarious and as you mentioned earlier we have had a couple of comedians on but I think that's such a 
a rich means to tap into audiences and to deal with complex issues in very short, simple, to the point ways. Um, so, you know, black comedy and clever man like ABC TV has really been hitting it out of the park. NITV have got a new kids cartoon coming up soon called uh, Little J and Big Cuz, which I'm really excited about. I think there's not a lot of those cartoons, or there's not a lot of Indigenous content for kids, and those that is are quite often pointed at very much at the educational. Um, so there's been a few things, but you know, a, a groundbreaking cartoon that's actually been working in the education sector, looking for the stories to cover, and then just you know a lot of the mob who are just out there on Facebook, as you'd mentioned, on Twitter. You know, we, we have a space now where you can capture your own audience. You don't have to go through the traditional gatekeepers. You don't have to have a lot of funding or production experience. If you've got a story to tell, if you're naturally in, engaging and charismatic, you know, people are going to be drawn to that. And so I just love that we now have opportunities that people can go out on their own and build their own name, build their own brand, build their own sense of self rather than having to follow through those traditional pathways that a lot of Indigenous people for a long time have found very hard to break into. How good a job do you think the Australian mainstream or legacy media is doing at including Indigenous voices in their newsrooms, reporters, editors, photographers? A lot of them do have Indigenous reserve positions and cadetships, but are they doing a good enough job? I have a big problem with the traineeship model. Especially, you know, if you're an organisation who's had cadetships and traineeships for 20 years and you still have those but you don't have any senior executive positions filled by Indigenous people, then something is very wrong with your traineeship and cadetship model. And so, you know, that sends this message that if we want to have Indigenous executives, we have to start with the 18 and 9-year-olds. Like, if you want an Indigenous CEO, go and employ one. There are plenty of mid-level and later-level career high-end people in any field you want to imagine and so I think that can be a bit of a cop-out the traineeship cadetship model and like I said for me it's just very simple mass how long have you had that model who are your most senior indigenous people and how many people in between and if you're not seeing significant numbers there which across the board we are not then something is very wrong with that model. And one of the really cool things recently, Jack Lattimore, who's come on board helping out Indigenous X, just got nominated for a Quills Award for commentary for an article he wrote for the Guardian Indigenous X partnership. And it was about why a lot of Indigenous people are disengaging from that legacy media and that old school media because they don't have those black voices and not just you know people who are actually writing and creating, but behind the scenes as well. So executive editors, producers, and there is simply no excuse not to have them. If you wanted to have people in those positions, you would. You would simply go and headhunt them and employ them. They are there and there are plenty of them, more than qualified for it. So yeah, I'm, I'm not a big believer in that We'll start with the kids and in 30 years maybe we can have it because it's like, well, we've had those people for however many years already and not enough organisations are embracing that and taking that on board. You're listening to For The State. You've written about wanting to turn Indigenous X into an independent, Indigenous-owned and operated fully-fledged media organisation. What does the next five years look like? How do you move towards that? Well, a lot of that is what we already are. We are 100% Indigenous-owned and operated. Um, We do publish our own articles online. We just don't have many resources. 
So really the big thing is finding ways that we can build opportunity. You know, I'd love to bring more people on board in either part-time or full-time capacities working with Indigenous X. I work a full-time job at NITV to feed the family and love NITV as well. But really, I I would have stayed working full-time at Indigenous X had there been the opportunity to do that. So it's a big challenge looking for those opportunities to help us become sustainable, but keeping our integrity and keeping our independence and obviously and as is natural a lot of people who have money to give want something for that money and a lot of those people want something that I wouldn't be willing to give from Indigenous X I wouldn't be able to make those commitments to say yes we're going to make sure that every host speaks positively of this brand or this organization and in the early days we did have a couple of groups who for politeness sake I won't name but you know one was a, a big bank who came and talked to us and I said you know if there's a host who comes on who's had a horrible experience with your bank and they want to talk about it I'm gonna let them talk about that you know, I would not censor that and they weren't happy with that and that was the end of that conversation. You know, people, donations and sponsorship is really where we're looking at more and more and more. Um, There are some funding opportunities that I think don't come with those strings attached but have certain criteria that needs to be met so that is something I would consider. Um, But we have a Patreon account, we have a PayPal account and I think in terms of long-term sustainability that's probably our best bet. Any organisation, any government funding, you can't hire people with confidence and say, yes, I'm going to be able to give you a job for X amount of years, not knowing when you know a three-year grant or whatever it may be is going to run up and then you've got to hope that it still is there to get the next one. Um, whereas you know people making monthly donations and the work that we do on the side, like I do consultancy, I do public speaking, I do other work to bring in resources. But yeah, I think it's something that the community at large are going to need to get behind us and help us get to that next level or you know we might peak and get a a big level of support but eventually that will run out so you know monthly support even in the smallest amount enough people donating one dollar a month quickly becomes ten thousand dollars a month so that's that's our long-term strategy at the moment would you like to see more dedicated government funding for indigenous media Yeah, well, anything that has that long-term commitment, I mean, Indigenous Affairs across the board, one of the biggest criticisms and biggest concerns is not having long-term funding for all of our agencies, regardless of the field they're in. So there are a lot of, you know, really crucial frontline services who work on 12 months, two years, three years, and very rarely any more than that. So if there was something that was to come around that was this is effectively lifetime support. You know, I think that'd be wonderful. And you know, I think it's important to say like there are groups like the Koori Mail and NITV who do have you know, NITV, a part of SBS. Koori Mail get a lot of support through advertising and they are 100% Indigenous owned as well. So there's a lot of really cool stuff out there. But for me, what, again, you know, social media and the online space can offer, I think is something that Indigenous X has, still has a unique niche in. I don't think it's a niche we'll keep for that much longer. Just logically, again, it's the easiest place for anyone who's trying to build something to do it from. But at the moment, you know, we hold a very unique business model, a very unique strategy around the diversity of things we do and the diversity of voices that we can bring to the table. And, you know, fundamentally, I, I would rather say, you know, Indigenous X is a platform supported by the Australian and international community at large who believe in this and who want to be behind it rather than saying you know we're funded by the department of xyz you know the success of indigenous x has always been tied to 
a really solid audience base who understand and appreciate and who want to listen more than they want to tell Indigenous people what they should be doing, but listen to those individual people, hear their story and broaden their own perspective through those experiences, find people that they can support, issues that they can learn more about but you know indigenous x went from four thousand close to thirty thousand went to the partnership with the guardian start some good you know we've raised like half a million dollars like everything we've done directly comes back to having a really strong audience who really embrace that philosophy and so yeah i think the growth of indigenous x whether it's on our website whether it's on twitter is always going to be about our supporters coming to the table and really championing the cause of what we're trying to do and not just at Indigenous X, but you know, that philosophy of how Indigenous X operates, I think is something that applies in any area, any industry, any anything. Um, so you know, the more people who embrace that philosophy and who tell that story, the better we're all gonna be. Could you tell me about one of the stories or voices that you're most proud of having surfaced through Indigenous X? Oh, that's a very much a who's your favourite child type of question. <laughs> it's always always difficult. You know, so many of them are, are very near and dear to me. You know, one you mentioned uh, earlier the year knows throat specialist. Just on Friday, he actually performed surgery on the second of my three children. So <laughs> our youngest son, he put grommets in uh, last year. And on Friday, he took the tonsils out of our older son. And so, you know, the work that he does is just so remarkable. But, you know, like I was saying before about the, the tropes that exist in people's mind of an Indigenous person has to be an activist or has to have overcome certain amounts of trauma or has to be advocating for certain issues. Just when you get someone who just talks about basketball for the week or talks about anything else, I think those ones are just as important, if not more important, because it helps shake a lot of people out of those assumptions on this is what an Indigenous person is and that homogenous view that all Indigenous people share these views and these attitudes. And so whenever you get someone who just completely left field does something that you just wouldn't have thought of, and you know, sadly a lot of people wouldn't think of an Indigenous enos throat surgeon as well, so that's important, but it doesn't have to be those top levels of success and achievement. It can just be someone who's living a good life, is a happy person and has some cool facts they want to share. Yeah, if you went through on Twitter, you can just look at images that get shared. And I mean, the photos that we've got from around the country, the landscapes, the people, the families, the achievements, the, the stories, it's, yeah, again, I love all of my children equally. Luke Pearson, thank you so much for joining us on The Fourth Estate this week and congratulations on your five-year anniversary. No, oh, thanks for having me. It was great fun. That's it for us this week, but before you go, we've got a favour to ask of you. Fourth Estate is nominated for an award at Castaway, Australia's first ever podcast awards. As well as a distinguished judging panel, there's also a People's Choice Award, and that's where you come in. Head to www.castawayawards.com.au and vote for us. And tell all your friends to vote for us too. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review, preferably a good one. I'm Olivia Rosenman and catch us next week on Fourth Estate.